Are you an award-winning studio, Craig? Uh, the only award we ever won was for a hack day that we entered. And that's still in our office with the wrong date on it because they printed the wrong date on it. And <laughs> that's the only award we've ever won. Did I, you pay for the actual physical trophy? No. No, that... Yeah, it's a free one. It, yeah, it was It was just a fun, a fun day. Uh, yeah, the award, the award stuff, the award stuff, what to say about that? It's... And that's, that's, to some extent, a little bit like Instagram um, or Twitter or Facebook. So the credibility thing. Yeah, you you see the fact that they are an award-winning design studio, just like they might be an award-winning design studio with 30,000 followers on Instagram. And you presume they are better than everybody else at what they do. And you presume you should be aspiring to be exactly like them. But often the truth of the matter is that that's not true at all. And the, the way that people win awards is by buying them. Hi, I'm Craig Burgess. I'm co-owner and creative director of Genius Division based in Barnsley in the UK. Hi, I'm Richard Baird, founder and editor of BP&O. It's, that's, ultimately, that's the result. You, you buy your place into an award and your work might win. Yeah, there's, there's many hidden filters that exist uh, in the world and the awards program is, is a good example. Even if you have a not-for-profit running an awards program, there are biases and demographics that are intrinsic to the process of um, do I feel, um, if you're from, say, Barnsley, um, will that shape? anybody's understanding of the work or um, that the, the, the difficulties or the, the um, practicalities are shaping the outcome there or um, the expense of printing out presentation boards and sending those in. You're, you're hiring, you're using your designers and the designers' time to, to print those out and to set the pages up and to, to write the um, the descriptions of the projects. Do you hire a copywriter to do that um, against a design studio that can't hire a copywriter to describe their projects? Um, you know, you assume all the boards are getting put out uh, in front of everyone. How are people, when they're scanning them across the tables, um, there is a, a visual component to that that draws you in. Even if something is what we might describe as visually uh say idiosyncratic very specific to a group of people a, a particular community uh may look quite unappealing to a particular person judging that kind of thing and they won't take the time to read it so there, there are just so many different filters that even if you're saying this is a not-for-profit for industry thing that, that elevates design. There are so many different things uh, that um, potentially can undermine actually what their core idea is about moving the conversation forward. There isn't necessarily a transparent dialogue that is happening around the design process. You just know that there are 10 people that have been picked because of their profile or, uh, let's be honest, that. Uh, I have been picked to do things because I have a profile on Instagram and people can use that profile in order to raise the profile of the, the event or the brand. 
so it, I, I still feel like the, the, the and, and of course there's a financial aspect, right? That, that, that even if it is 50 pounds to enter something, there is a barrier there where you, you may, is it worth it or not? And I've never entered anything until recently. Um, the design studio that I work in, um, all of the young designers there have yellow pencils. Um, I've never thought about it. And I thought I would love a yellow pencil. Um, I never photograph my work. I never write about it. Um, what is it that I have that I could at least enter? Um, and I had the logo archive project and I, I submitted that as a side hustle thing, but that's really just out of pure curiosity, not because I want to say I'm award winning. I, I, I just want to, I, I, I myself want to feel like I've done something that has value to the industry or, it's very difficult. You, you do want that sort of feedback or... I, I think ultimately we all want to be acknowledged, don't we? we even if I'm sat here saying basically awards, awards are, are bullshit, it's, it's still something that I'd still obviously love to win. And, I'm not, and I don't want to discount the fact that some people enter them because... And, and it's also the... So I have all of these followers on Instagram but that's almost not enough for me. I need institutional recognition. Um, but I know even if I got institutional recognition, it still wouldn't be enough. Um, and it's better that I just go back and put the money into producing real material things that um, interest people and hopefully get them thinking about graphic design in new ways or um, just fills them with joy every time they receive a, a zine, for instance. And I think more and more, and we're talking about sort of money in terms of capital, but also that kind of uh, social capital or the relationship you have with a community or group of people or with an individual that you didn't know, that has value that far uh, transcends the, the, the capital, the, the financial outcome of things is if you've shaped or helped shape somebody's understanding of graphic design and move them in a new direction or help them achieve something a bit quicker, because I've been so slow to learn things. Uh, and this is why I want to do this podcast is can we help people um, move quicker uh, by understanding our failures, uh, move quicker and, and, and avoid those? So although we're talking about money here, I think we probably should be talking about value. Um, where is the value in graphic design? Um, yeah, that, that's a really good point. I think before we get to that, I just want to return one final time to survival, and it's linked into awards as well. The fact that awards is very much like a, a design studio's portfolio. It's the highlights of what they've been working on and it's the stuff that you think will attract other people. It's marketing, ultimately. It, it's the thing that's going to attract more of the thing that you want to do. But the reality of running a design studio or being a designer in any sense is that the day-to-day -day is the survival. And even if somebody has a yellow pencil or has... 50 awards and they win awards all the time they are still in the studio doing work that isn't ever going to be award winning and we we think 
we often think that there's there's kind of a very large disconnect between people who are winning awards and people who are famous online uh, that they are somehow massively better as a designer than somebody else and it it's it's simply not true it's just that they are showing the highlights of their work uh, i think um, what would be really helpful for our listeners would be if we uh shared something of our um uh, we 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 this is called this this uh conversation that's the job where um we're really talking about the the realities of graphic design maybe there's something we can share that just illuminates the not the the most banal activity as designers that we've had to engage in um graphic design can sometimes be a really straightforward and exciting high visibility activity but also sometimes it can be incredibly complicated and banal at times um, i've been involved in a bunch of projects where i've just spent days and days inputting data into something um, i remember very early on being in a design studio and i was responsible for putting um, the images into the screw fix catalog for anybody that doesn't know what that is it's a catalog of screws um, it, it's lots of different tools as well but there are just thousands of different screws that you could get and I would have to uh, I would get a, a number and then I would go through various folders looking for the image of that and I would put the image into the quark um, spread and put in the number and I would just do that and I was paid about at the time, I was very pleased with 15 pounds an hour. Um, but I made a mistake with the numbers and I had uh, hundreds of images that were incorrect and I had to go back and do that. Now, the design agency was so gracious about it because I knew that I was still, I mean, I was selling freelance services, um, but they still paid me even though I made that mistake. And it's things like that that allowed me to actually pay my rent because they were so gracious about that. Is there any experiences that you could share with people that just um, let other designers know that design can be really, really boring and, and time consuming and not exciting? I think whenever you work on uh, any kind of big print projects, the 80% of the work is dull as ditch water and 20% of it is coming up with the idea I think maybe it's even less than that you come up with a really cool idea and then you realize you've got to put all the work into it you've got to copy and paste the content in no matter what kind of system you set up there's a lot of grunt work behind that a lot a lot of my first ever design job uh, I worked for an agency that designed to a price list so they charged 150 quid for a logo or something and uh, 400 pounds for a website something like that when when was this perhaps it's always good to know when when these things were happening because the, the the industry keeps on changing and sometimes they're still doing packages or packages are a bit more attributed to fiverr projects yeah. or those kind of things this so this would have been 12 or 13 no 13 or 14 years ago um and so I was working to a price list and with the price list came a certain amount of time I had to spend on a project because they needed to make money. And because the, the margins were so low, they, they basically charged £150 
to make a logo, I would design the logo in a set amount of time. I think it might have been an hour or something. And they paid me six or seven pound an hour or something. It was minimum wage, whatever it was back then. So it might have even been five pound an hour. Um, so the, the work I typically did was high volume, very, very high volume. Not at first, because it was one of my first, it, it was the first full-time design job I had. Previous to that, whilst I was still studying at college, I had a part-time job as a designer. This was my first full-time one. So I was still very green. And I, I was churning out loads of work every day. The majority of it was, wasn't very good. Um, the standard wasn't high. And then the feedback came back in. Uh, they, they had a ton of processes. The, the whole way it was set up was fantastic. I learned so much there. Um, they, they had a set questionnaire that they asked clients before the project started. It was very systemized. And then when the feedback came back in, it came back in on a form so I could see the exact feedback. But I never got to speak to the client and that was half of the way it worked and how they kept the costs down so low. So there was never any satisfaction, really, with the work that I was producing because... The standard of most of it wasn't very good. The feedback that came back, because they were a low-quality client, it was always terrible feedback. So it, it'd either be, I hate it, or it'd be, I don't like pink, or it'd just be, just be benign feedback that you'd, you'd have to action because you couldn't speak to the client to, to explain to them why you'd made the decisions. So there was very little job satisfaction in, on the surface for that job, and I did that for a year and a half. And looking back on it and I did enjoy it at the time I, I did enjoy it I'm a, a little bit of a masochist in that way that I I I, I understand the did, process did, did you recognize at the time that you were learning and that they would shape you in a positive way or were you yeah. ungrateful or no. Uh, no I was I was very grateful yeah. for the opportunity and the the thing that saved me with it was I knew it was going to make me a faster designer and be able to come up with ideas much quicker. So I valued that process massively. I also valued uh, the fact that I knew this wasn't the ultimate standard of my work. So I always held on to the fact that I wasn't going to get drawn into producing design work like this on a permanent basis. And I also did tons of stuff in my spare time too, just you know, just to get better and stuff like that. So, did you have a, an exit strategy for that? job way you say i'm gonna i'm gonna do this for a year and a half because i recognize that i'm learning something um but i'm i'm going to say in a year and a half i am leaving and i will have a portfolio and i will pick out some of the things that maybe did turn out well or uh, in my spare time and build a portfolio so because i know that for some people they can get a bit stuck and uh, rely on that income and um i think that it's worth always remembering that uh as long as you're learning something, you're surviving, and you've got a plan to move yourself forward, um, it's okay to just do that. Um, yeah. You don't have to like it. Or I, I never really, I had no sense of what 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 level. Or I, I actually always thought that the work was okay at the time. And I've always found that. You, are, you always do, being, though, don't you, often? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but now I'm very much more critical and I learned to be critical and I need that self-criticality in order to make the work better. Whereas when I was younger, I didn't really have that. 
I, I knew that the work that I was producing wasn't the best work I could produce, but when I did produce the best work I could produce, it was still wasn't very good. But it so it was a, a step below what I knew I could achieve. The the my my exit goal was actually to to start my own agency. That's what I was gonna do. And they actually give me a bit of they give me a day back while I was working there. They let me work from home so I could start my agency and they they actually also started employing me as a freelancer for a couple of days a week so they helped me massively it didn't end up working out at that point I didn't go full-time freelance I actually got another job after that but they they give me tons of opportunities and I always remember the value of everything they gave me purely for the speed because the in terms of making money in design especially if you go to university they the process is very very slow the creative process is slow and we don't often get the opportunity at university sometimes because the lecturers don't understand it or just because of the basically the education process we don't get it explained to us that you cannot sit around for six months designing a logo because you'll just make no money yeah there's a there's a tension there is that the tutors want the students to build up a portfolio that will get them through the door but they know to build that portfolio they're gonna have to sit on a project for six months in order to make it at least as uh, intelligent and beautifully executed that if they ended up with a portfolio that was erratic and didn't have a, a conclusion and or didn't have a research portion that it'd be very hard uh, to go into a studio and be able to talk about it. So, well, I was quite interested in just banging out lots of different things, but unfortunately I don't have a result. Um, and so I found that I hired a, a, a young designer who had been at university and she struggled with being able to generate lots of ideas that she had a, a perfectionism inside of her, which I really appreciated. And she did have a capacity for ideas. But when I was paying her per day, all I needed was her ideas. I didn't need an art worker. I needed ideas. And that was the very first time that I actually understood what it was to hire somebody. The fear of paying somebody and not getting a result um, was so significant for me and um there was the fear but i didn't want to say to her i needed to ease her into it and say look please can you just show me all of the iterations that you had before you got to that result that you showed me and that's what i'm paying you for that 20 different variations that you self-edited i want to see that and I see that in, in the design studio I have space in where you have interns and young designers coming in uh, out of the university and they're very slow. And I can see that the creative director in the studio is paying these people for their ideas and I can see her frustration because she's dealing with even more overheads um, and huge clients and she just needs the ideas um, quickly. And even I've been caught out by her where even I am not generating ideas quick enough because I've been freelance and I can hide my process and I always work directly with clients. So they're paying me for re results, not for the ideas or the vo volume of ideas. And um, I've been disappointed in myself that I am almost as, I'm not as slow as a, <laughs> a student, but oh, that 
and of course that's subjective some students are very very quick at generating ideas and their craftsmanship far exceeds my own but uh, going back to the survival is i'm being paid for my ideas and when i don't generate ideas even though i've been in the industry for 15 years i feel disappointed in myself um that i haven't learned that quick enough I think that tension part of it's really important, especially when it comes to making money. And that's the thing that if you are an employee of an agency, you don't always appreciate that you do have... You don't see it. No, you, you don't see the money. You do have the creative director looking at you thinking, work faster. But they don't always say it to you either because they want you to explore your process, which is a, a difficult side of it too. And there's a... There's a, a, and a I can only really speak to to where I have a, a, a studio space is that the creative director is actually very generous um, in the way that she gives time to the younger designers that essentially costs her money, but she really wants to see them grow and develop in, in a, but also have the realities of um, what it is to design in a design studio. And for some, they feel like, um, it's very demanding and, and um, that there's a lot being asked of them, but sometimes they don't realize the generosity that's actually happening. Because I, I, having run or been freelance and run my own studio of, you know, my little business or whatever, uh, the, the, the pressure of the money is so huge that for her not to say that to you is very generous uh, and to give you time, but they don't see it. And that's why we're having this conversation is just to reveal that kind of burden that the employers have and, and um, just be aware of that. You, know, you are costing people uh, money if you're not generating quick enough. Yeah, and every time you, not to scare people, but every time you get it wrong, that's another cost. And, it, and every time it takes another day longer than you said it would, that's another cost. And that's potentially a cost that hasn't been uh, accommodated for sometimes depending on the project you, you might not have thought it was going to take this long and it, yeah that that's I think that's the value side of exploring freelancing or running your own business to understand that value because I've always want I've always had the end goal in mind that I wanted to work for myself I've always really wanted to understand that inside an agency. So I have always been quite conscious of it. And I'm kind of, I don't know why I did it, but from my very first job, the very first full-time job, and I, I really appreciate the fact that I had to work quickly. And from then, I also got shown a value of my work so I could see the underpinnings of how my work was commercialized in a very, very obvious way. So I could see, well, I'm getting paid six pound, it's took me five revisions and they're selling it for 150 quid. So I could see, see there straight away. So I knew that if something went on too long, I knew that I'd cost them money and it, it didn't, it didn't feel particularly nice, but I got exposed to it really early. And sometimes you can not get exposed to that at all often. And it is of, it is of a really, really good value to understand the money side of design not just take taking a wage and it's it's been reshaped as well by technology and the global community now where the abundance of people 
um, vying for design contracts or uh, job jobbing designers on Fiverr, driving down the cost or undermining the uh, the value of design services because if you if you haven't bought design services before and then you're on YouTube and you're seeing these Fiverr adverts and you're going on Fiverr, um, it, it what's your thoughts on that? For me, anyone that is starting to see design as a part of their business, even if they're engaging with Fiverr, it's that very early stepping stone that a lot of companies may never have considered or if you're um the the, the economy is is demanding that a lot of people become businesses and self-employed the creative economy if you will uh, where if you want to get in cosmetics you have uh, manufacturers that will allow you to customize uh, or formulate your own cosmetics and you will package those up there's not necessarily much difference in terms of uh, formulation from these off off the shelf companies, but you can brand it up and tell a story. And these companies or these individuals are now having to think. So how does this look? Um, there are a lot more people that need design services, and it doesn't really matter how they enter it. They will eventually realize that maybe this packaging isn't working from Fiverr. Where, where do I go from here? Is there someone else that I can have a more direct relationship with? I may have to pay a little bit more. So. It's the net gain. The conversation is happening now um, a lot further down, down the line, which I really appreciate. Um, I've had clients that have said, well, I've done this route and this has got me here and I've done it for a year. Uh, I'd like to spend a bit more money now. Um, we've had some, some return, but we're not getting to where we want to go. Can you help us? And so that kind of, it's part of an ecosystem, right? That Fiverr is one part of that. And, uh, so what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think it's devaluing it at all. I, I completely agree with you. I think it's raising the value because it's added that extra step for people to try out custom design to a certain to a certain point. They can employ a designer for a very little cost and understand the process and understand how it works. And it just helps everybody become a little bit more visually savvy. And everybody is now anyway. People are so visually savvy now. They they, yeah. they understand I, brands. I, I agree. It's it's what I call like a like a, a design intelligence. They can the a broader uh, segment of, of society can understand how people are or brands are communicating them non verbally. They I think Apple has a lot a lot to do with raising the overall design intelligence um, of, of, of the wider society. Um, but also people are more savvy to um, like a truthfulness. Uh, what is presented as, as looking authentic is not authentic, but there are so many different layers to um, a corporate identity that you can get that for surface level and think, oh yeah, that's quite interesting but you go one step further to the website or social media and it just falls apart. Um, so that the design intelligence, I think, is, is, is broadening. Yeah, and, and clients appreciate it more, I think, as well. They appreciate the, the, the skill and the craft of it. Uh, yeah, I, I've always thought it's a little bit like competing agencies as well. 
like I said before, the building that we work in has got quite a few agencies in there. And there's always this attitude to freelancers and agencies. Some of them have a competitive attitude where they will not talk to you, will not communicate with you, will not share anything. And the other ones, uh, and I fall into this second category, will share everything, will tell you exactly how it is. We'll have those conversations because they all know that we're all in it together. And ultimately, there's enough work for everybody. So as Fiverr and things like that become more popular um, and 99designs and stuff like that, it makes everybody become more visually aware. It makes everybody develop a design intelligence. And it ultimately means there's more work for everybody too. And it, it just grows grows the creative industry and makes everybody more aware of what we're doing. Mm. And what about, so a lot of these, um, how do you transition? Um, and this is a difficulty I had where I was essentially a logo designer for a very long time that it was a very comfortable situation to be in because it's an entry point for a lot of people. There's a certain amount of money that I could get from it. And if I could do enough projects, I could pay my rent. Um, but moving from that world of, that comfort where I knew what I was doing, I just had to produce one asset. I knew how to output it at different color um, profiles and different file types. Um, but you can get stuck where you're not really learning anything about strategy. How can you bring more value um, to a brand? How do you go from that logo design Fiverr world or um, what you were doing within the, the 150 pounds and to providing corporate identity packages and understanding a bit about strategy um, that you don't necessarily learn about at university or um, that kind of thing. And I suppose some people would ask about pricing those kind of services. Strategy is, in some aspects, it, it seems like magic, right? Where you do the workshops and, and you get the, the, the clients talking about the, 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 the brand and the positioning and you work out the channels, the best channels for communicating these kind of things. But it's very difficult to say, well, I've been in this freelancing two years. What do I actually know about strategy? Can I even offer that as a service? How much do I charge? Um, I think there's a hierarchy to it, isn't there? When you've got not very much experience, you you can't offer those services because you you just don't have the experience to offer it unless i think strategy has been used a bit disingenuously i've seen uh, there are some people i've seen on twitter and they'll say uh designer art director and strategist and i look at that work and how can you have a strategy if you're just a logo designer yeah you're just a designer yeah um the the yeah, to me, there's very there, there is no strategy if you're a logo designer. It, it's the, it's the the ever the ever increasing inflation of job skills. I think it, um, not no not job skills. The actual terminology that we're using. I've seen this massively change over the past five or six years. When we first started Genius Division, we called ourselves web designers, and now you're a UX architect or a UX designer or do you know what I mean? There's a lot lots of different words that essentially are describing the same thing and there's particularly in web there's a lot of people when these terms started coming out saying well i've always been considering the user interface because it's what i do or i've always been considering the user experience because that's what a designer does and there's 
I think there's an element of those people who are saying designer, strategist, and things like that. They're trying to use the terminology to inflate the price of their product because, uh, or they're doing it because everybody else is doing it and they feel like they have to call themselves a strategist because all the other logo designers are calling themselves strategists. I think it's just a, the terminology is changing and a lot of people don't understand what strategy is and won't even offer it as a service. Uh, but then, yeah, there is the other side of it, the disingenuous people who may be saying they're doing strategy, but there isn't any strategy behind it whatsoever. Like putting grid grid lines on logos, for example. And we had this conversation on Twitter, didn't we, in exchange, and uh, that that was my my reading of it is that as as a I was a logo designer for quite some time, but I never I never used grids and guides. I I just didn't understand it, but I I felt like I was what I was seeing was firstly a way to differentiate themselves early on, where an idea catches on, and it's where young designers start discovering. Um, the ways in which the mid-century designers constructed their logos because they didn't have software. They saw the grids and the guides because this is how they were having to show how sign makers would replicate their logo uh, because they didn't have a a computer file. They would have a a mathematical grid uh, that the sign maker could then see and uh, scale it up or down as needed. And I think they saw that and thought, it, of course, it's very beautiful, it's very mathematical, but also perhaps they saw a way of bringing more credibility to something that was essentially very, very simple. The, the simpler, uh, it, as you and I, we've, we've learned over the years that to design something simple, a, a simple logo has taken us 15 years, um, but it's also taken us 15 years to realize that we don't need to dress it up in any other way other than saying to your client um, I've had a look at, uh, at your industry um, I've listened to what you said to me um, and I've created this thing that I believe is distinctive uh, and memorable and will help you stand out and will accumulate meaning over time uh, as you have a good relationship with your audience um, that takes a lot of confidence and a lot of time to get to. But before then, it's how do you sell in something? How do you increase the value of what you're doing if what you're doing is always logo design? How do you... Uh, you almost have to legitimize it to yourself in order to sell it to the client. So I've used the golden ratio. Um, this is what the designers I've seen on on Dribble, for instance, are doing, and they have... 10,000 followers, so they must be doing something right. So I will apply it to, to what I'm doing. I've always found grids and guides in logo design uh, to be a constraint. Um, I, I don't understand why I would want to put that kind of limitation on, on what I'm doing. Of course, when you're designing a brochure or a magazine, uh, have a 100-page document, you're going to need some grids and guides, margins, whatever. But... To me, it's another smoke and mirrors kind of thing, and designers are better off staying truthful to what they're doing, um, just saying to the client, this is what uh, a problem or the absence of something that you've had, and I've, I've produced something that I believe is credible, um, and here's why, instead of sort of dressing up with the visual uh, uh, things. But again, going back to, say, a brand document, 
perhaps you do need to put in some guise of, of clearance uh, around the logo, things like that, whatever. Um, I think we're kind of on the same page there, but is there anything you'd like to add to that? I think you touched on it a little bit with the value thing. I think that's a, that's a good thing to mention. The v- value is so tough and it's it's a sliding scale as well for different clients, for different projects, for different industries, for different purposes. Um, we we often, as designers, we, we get asked how much would it cost to design a 20-page brochure, for example. And then we go away and we, we say, right, well, it's going to take us five days, we're going to charge that time and, and then move on. But th- that... The problem with that I've always found is that as you get more skilled, you earn less money if you keep doing it that way because you get quicker and then you are penalised for getting quicker and better and we often get stuck in a trap of that when we're designers and then you start to raise your prices a little bit and then you start to feel guilty, or at least I do. I know that some some projects, you you come you put the price on and you think, they're never going to pay that much money for it, uh, but you know that you're worth it and all your experience shows it. So there's you kind of come to an uncomfortable level with value that it exceeds the amount of time that you are spending on the project, but it is still good value for money. And Sometimes I think it's good to almost um, uh, take some time to think about why the, a brochure from one year ago and a brochure now costs more. And you can say, well, um, I've learned that um, by setting something out like this, we'll have a, a, a tangible impact, that this is how people understand the printed object. Or um, I've learned that um, a large image on the left-hand side um, is better than having a large image on the right-hand side. Or um, this kind of grid makes it easier for people to read. Um, I've learned that from experience between that piece of work one year ago. And that by saying that to yourself, that you now understand these principles a bit more, you've even tested it. Um, you've had that communication with previous clients and said, how has this new brochure design done? That when it comes to designing that brochure now, you can say, you've learned this, this, and this, and that's why this brochure will cost more to design even if it was exactly the same a year ago. Mm. I think in terms of value, though, as, as you've probably found as well, when do you decide that that brush that you did a year ago does now cost more money? How often do you kind of raise your prices or the, the value of the work that you provide? How's, how's that worked over the years for you? So I've been very instinctual um, that it's always related to my circumstances. Um, What does it take for me to survive? Um, Not to be um, indulgent in my living standards. Um, Where am I living? How much does it cost me to sustain that lifestyle? Am I being excessive? Is the money that I'm charging give me enough to also do the projects that I I want to do in terms of choosing clients. So uh, am I making enough money to be more selective? Am I making enough money that gives me the time to learn and grow as a person and a designer? 
Um, so that's that's the strategy side of things. Is is am, am I giving myself enough time to to do courses or to read more or to have conversations with people that have done that before? And time, of course, is this really important thing that time time and money are are related. That you can acquire an infinite amount of money. There are enough zeros you can add to one, but you are essentially uh, um, finite. You you will die, and you have in a certain um, indefinite or you don't know when you're going to die, right? So time is not something you can acquire, uh, but it's something that you can decide how you want to spend it. And the more skilled or better you get at a job, the more that you ask for a bit more money, you're essentially buying back time for yourself, for yourself to grow. And this is related to how much I charge is that how much time do I want to buy back for myself? Um, and then how much money do I need to do the projects that I want to do or the personal projects, things like Logo Archive, which is self-funded. So that's why I'm thinking about when I'm charging. I'm not thinking necessarily totally the value of the project to the client. I'm thinking about my my own growth or what how 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 do I come become a better person? How do I free my time up to do the things that make me happy? And and I think that's almost more important to me than sort of acquiring enough money to buy more. Yeah, that's what I think of is how much time can I buy back and how quickly can I buy more of my own time back. Would you charge two different clients the exact same amount of money for the same project? No. No, and but that's a that's for me, that's more like a, an ideology or a, a philosophy. The way I live my life is that I just simply couldn't do it. I know a lot of people look at how big the client is and how much value that that even if the the objects are the same and that client can afford more, I just can't really do it. Um, it's just not in me. I, I have like a set kind of. Um, how I value myself, not how much someone can afford. And but that's a that's a personal choice. I know that some of the people do it the other way, and I have no problem with, with that at all. Uh, I, I understand that people want to uh, accumulate more capital more quickly. But I'm more of a. This is why it's taken me so long to grow personally, to grow my business, to do anything because yeah. I just can't do it. I, I'm I'm exa- exactly the same. I would I would love to be able to say, you know, a, a local client came to us and and said, we want to design, uh, I don't know, a website. It's going to cost you X amount. And then Coca Cola came to us for the exact same project. I'd love to be able to say to them, it's going to cost you four hundred thousand pounds, and they wouldn't even, you know, blink an eye. And I, uh, I wouldn't be. That- able- that, that, that's an interesting point, right? But that falls into uh, my understanding, my worldview, is that there, there are companies like Coca-Cola that I have a, a, a deeper problem with in terms of the environmental impact uh, where corporations have become so big and, and cannot be governed 
that I either won't work with them or that working with them, even if I know that it will be problematic in terms of um, communication and process. Now, I'm not saying that I would undermine my um, ideology um, for more money, more that um, I would take on the project for more money, even if the project was uh, going to not be fun or be a problem. I would take it on for that. Um, because it would then free me up to buy my time back to fund the projects that I would really love. So faceless corporations like Coca-Cola or you know these kind of companies, I have less of a problem with. Um, but that's because I have a particular worldview. Um, and I don't think it's as problematic to rip them off to see not ripping <laughs> i don't see it as ripping them off it's just that i see that it will be their processes and their and 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 the the, the the pragmatics of working with them would just be so problematic that i think i should at least be uh compensated for that level yeah. of bureaucracy yeah i get um, i get that the the kind of the even though coca-cola is an extreme example the kind of point i was getting at is a similar one to you that i wouldn't be able to charge a smaller client who i know doesn't have as much money versus a client who is larger i wouldn't be able to charge them a lot more money for the same project morally the sim yeah. similar kind of so point it's i suppose it's the the flow right it's like if you're flowing upwards and you're charging more for Coca-Cola, but you wouldn't, you would go backwards where you charge less for a company that you knew didn't have much money, but you were really interested in helping them. It's like pro bono work, right? That you're happy to actually reduce your cost for a smaller company that is struggling or that you have some kind of investment in or interest in rather than the other way where you're saying, uh, that it's wrong to take more money from a, a bigger company. Ultimately, we're talking about morals, and mm. well, our our own personal morals. When you know, we're not saying that it's 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 bad or there's a good or bad thing. The whole pricing design work is a nightmare. Full stop. And, well, and the, I don't the, think any of us really know what we're doing when we first start doing it. The the, the ethics thing is really important because the the. Ethics is a construct that it's, it's a, a, a relationship that is formed between people and you decide what you think is uh, right or wrong. And that might be founded on religion or, or um, your socioeconomic background or your upbringing. Uh, it, it's essentially a worldview. And it's really up to you to decide what it is that you believe in and um, to live by that belief at that particular point in time, but also be open to being flexible, to hearing different points of view from other people and adjusting that worldview and, and set of uh, uh, like a values um, as you move through life. So you can only sort of establish that framework by learning, by reading lots of different things, communicating with lots of different people. Um, and my value system uh, I never 
compare that to anybody else's value system unless they, I believe, are doing harm. And then I may engage with that person and say, well, perhaps what you're doing is, is causing some kind of harm. And I mean that in terms of psychological or environmental. And being free to express that is a really important part of where we live. We're, we've got that privilege. So the thing that we were talking about Coca-Cola is really just my worldview that, I, that, that I've constructed that may change over time. Um, but is something that I choose to live by and it's it's completely up to anyone else to choose their own sort of value system and um, again it's going back to the survival thing is that you do whatever you need to do to survive in this world it's very very difficult Um, so if you need to work with coca-cola and you don't believe in coca-cola that you um, have to pay your rent <laughs> you do what whatever framework i'll create ever whatever you need to do to to make that work for you i i agree we're often told by people on twitter famous designers and young designers look at look up to famous designers and people saying don't ever do free work or don't don't ever work for coca-cola or don't ever do this thing or do that thing and the the truth is that none of it's ever black and white and even the people who are saying those things have definitely in the past done those things usually that's the reason they're saying them yes uh, uh, <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah and none of it is black and white and that that is why it's so tough and especially as a young designer especially pricing particularly that's the thing that i get asked the most by people about pricing stuff uh, and people just want an answer though don't they that I, I, I can feel I can feel their difficulty, their pain around it. You just want somebody uh, that you look up to to give you a straight answer and say, "Okay, I've looked I've looked at your portfolio, um, I've looked at your your, your housing situation and <laughs> and your background, and I've worked out that you should be charging thirty pounds an hour." And actually, I think if you gave that answer to someone. They would say, what, only £30? Um, you would never give them the answer. They want. It's like where you have to guess somebody's age, right? That you, You're setting yourself up for, for a failure. So all we can do in these conversations is you say, well, you want to gi- I want to give you an answer. And my answer is this. Look at how much it costs you to live a... Uh, your, cu- your current lifestyle... Be sensible in what you're buying. Um, don't overconsume things. Don't make yourself miserable. Make sure you've got time for yourself, time for your family, time for the things you love, and work out how much it is that you need to be able to live that kind of life. If you want to improve uh, certain aspects of your life, if you want to buy a bit more time back for yourself, uh, and you've acquired a bit more experience from the last time that you put your price up, put your price up. And they're like, it can be completely arbitrary, right? You just you're just probing, just experiment. You know, you're going to lose some, you're going to win some. I'm st- I still probe. Um, there are things that I want to do with the zine. Uh, the next issue is going to cost me three grand to produce because I want to do more. So I'm probing new inquiries to see whether I can actually charge a bit more in order to fund that. It's not that I want to increase my lifestyle, uh, the the level that I'm living. 
I just want to fund this scene. I want this scene to go out to more people. I want them to see the join the mid-century symbols, all these kind of things. That's what my advice is to, to people. Um, and, and it's based on some facts, right? You, can, you know how much you're paying for rent. You know how much your shopping is. Um, you know how much it costs you to go play golf on Sunday. Um, whether you want to take Saturday and Sunday off. Maybe you want to take a day off during the week. Do you want that evenings to yourself? Uh, do you have a family? All of these kind of things. How much time do you want for yourself? These are very pragmatic uh, things that you can do to work out how much you need to charge. Just do that to begin with. Um, and, you know, down, downsize if you want more time. Uh, downsize where you're living, spend less on food, do buy different brands, whatever. There are lots of practical things you can do to work that out. And I don't, I've never heard anyone actually say that to people that it's, it's become a bit of a confusing mess sometimes when I read all these weird different ways of pricing yourself or it becomes very esoteric and uh, it's just, can you, these people just want a, a pragmatic and practical solution or uh, they just want the answer. And I think that's the closest I've come to being able to construct some kind of how much should I charge argument. I think that's a great answer. And actually, I've got a really good book too. So it is called, I don't know if it's even going to show up, The Psychology of Graphic Design Pricing. Oh, wow. By Michael Jan Jander. Yeah, Michael Jander. Book is fantastic. Um as a young designer specifically, if you've never charged for graphic design work, this breaks down everything. It talks about profitability. It talks about what what you just mentioned, working out your hourly burn rate, how much money you actually need to survive. Um, basically, and it's got little worksheets in there too. I don't know if that's going to show. It's got like little... Uh, Oh, wow, that really, okay, step-by-step, step, perfect. It's it's a step-by-step step book on working out how much you should charge. Uh, yeah, you're completely right. People, we've got to the point now where we, we get told it's wrong to charge by the hour or it should be value-based, and it is very es esoteric. And ultimately, it comes down to survival and how much you can survive on and how much you actually want to earn. And they, there's not there's nothing wrong with that at all. There's, there's nothing wrong with charging your, your time like that because ultimately it's a job, isn't it? That That's the job. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, the other thing is worth saying is that the, 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 the world that we live in wants to productize everything. And there is this pressure that you, you should improve your lifestyle that you should be making more money. This is the capitalistic program, right? GDP, increasing the, the profitability of, of the country, raising the value of the pound against other countries, whatever. So that's the message you get from government is work harder, work more, increase your, your living standards. I don't think you necessarily need to internalize that that you need to the the and this is from someone that, that that's gone through a lot of different things and um and not just sort of 
work-related things, but personal experiences where I found a freedom in buying my time back. That it's so easy for many different industries, and and I think it's the sort of the Instagram thing and and the social capital, this promise of visibility. If you keep on posting things, more people will know you and you'll feel more fulfilled and that you should then productize that following and that kind of thing. That it's it's a very seductive and it, and this has a psychological component is that depending on your background and and my my own sort of um, growing up is that I, I needed visibility right and it's still something that that drives me forward today but if you can unhitch your cart from um, any sort of past psychological uh, experiences where you you need people to tell you you're good or that you can uh, remove yourself one step from that capitalistic program where you're where the, the the society is demanding more and more from you that you feel like you sh- that you don't deserve to sleep in on a saturday morning or you don't deserve to take sunday off that you should be constantly productive it's like lazy is this negative term now um, that you can beat yourself up and say i'm being lazy it's perfectly fine to sit and watch tv for five hours on a weekend or whatever that do what you need to survive do what you need to give time to yourself and your family give yourself enough money in which to uh, uh, learn and do things outside of graphic design uh, to explore other things to grow as a person and i think the the other thing that i would like to stress is this difference between uh, uh, consumer and civic responsibility has been conflated is that we're being shaped more into having a responsibility to buy more um, in order to sustain uh, economic growth and i think what we're finding now is because of the current situation this the rules might be slightly more rewritten where suddenly the government is now asking us uh, to be having having given us 10 20 years of um uh your consumer responsibility is now asking us oh no do you remember civic responsibility do you remember the nhs that that um we weren't so interested in now it's it's now your civic responsibility is to stay at home um and i think this is really really beautiful time to 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 remember that uh uh we're part of a a, a collective uh, people we have a responsibility to help people um to to be involved in in politics and not just to be kowtowed into a, 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 a the capitalistic program of consumption um are you happy and if not how what 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 can you do to improve that? Um, yeah. Mm. I've got nothing to add to that. <laughs> that was an utter like monologue, wasn't it? I have to be careful with stuff like that. No, you don't. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> I know, right? I just, I, it, it's a very personal thing for me is that using this Instagram, using Instagram and Twitter and having 
my behavior is shaped by that and not recognizing that. And just by learning the word algorithmic governance was actually so revolutionary for me that I was being shaped, that I wasn't this, this notion of uh, being a, I am not a product. I'm actually the raw material in which uh, I am being uh, the sort of the, the ore is being extracted and traded between two different parties and not actually being sold to. My, my information isn't being taken away from me to improve a service. It's actually been taken away so that two corporations can trade amongst themselves. So I'm no longer even part of that uh, ecosystem. I'm kind of irrelevant. I'm collectivized. Um, and, and, and that thing and once you realize that and you take a step back and you think shit what's important um, for me I just at the moment I just want to do logo archive I just want to do my zines people seem to like it um, and I can do a bit of writing in between, in between. Um, whatever I have to do in terms of client work to help me do that that's fine by me I think that's something that some people sometimes forget that it's about doing more of what you like. Um, I think in early, in the early stages, particularly as a designer, sometimes you might be doing things that you don't like. And again, that's the job. There's always going to be elements of stuff that you don't like, but the overarching goal should be to either move towards something that you do like, that you enjoy doing. Or you believe in. And that you believe in or find enjoyment in the things that you're already doing that you think don't have value because they, they always have value whether it's to progress your career or progress your life or your philosophy or, or whatever it is <laughs> I think that's perfect right should we leave it at that I, I think so yeah I feel like you were gonna do like no 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 that's the job <laughs> then and then that's a job <laughs>